0: Good morning. Um, my my wife Kate and our second son Silas went really early uh, to do the half marathon, and in, in the middle of all that, and, you know, I was already awake. And this psalm was on my heart, and very close to my heart, because some things that I've been going to my, uh, in my personal life again. Um, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will move our hearts to listen what we need to hear, to respond the way that, that God desires us to respond. Um, so for those of you um, who have not had a good week, I think that this is the, the psalm that is just designed for the people who are broken hearted and contrite hearted people. And I'll disp- define a little bit. And very important, important uh, point of the sermon series because it reveals David's heart. So I I, I hoped, I wish that everybody's here, but uh, it feels like almost half of the church is not here. So let's begin with. Asking God's help as we begin. Gracious God, our Father, I thank you for your word. A life-giving word that revives us, that takes our attention from our own selves to you. Not to just improve our Our hearts, but that you would restore a new heart. And I pray boldly that you would just do that and speak to us, each one of us, in a special way you only can. And protect us from further distractions for any uh, technical. Our difficulties and mishap, and even evil ones' whispers of disturbing uh, things in our mind. It is your glory that we seek as our supreme concern throughout the hour. In Jesus' name, amen. As we began several months ago, David's series, uh, we didn't want to call it the Life of David series, because the Life of David seems just focusing on events of his lives, his life, and then stories that are happening. A quite large portion of our series have been on that. But the reason why we entitled this series, David God's, the Man After God's Own Heart is that we want to learn what made his heart the God's own heart. And this is a psalm that just reveals the depth of his heart, opens up. Um, So without further ado, let's take an overview of this psalm. And for those of you who have not uh, listened to the messages prior to this week, maybe provide some background as well. Psalm 51, if you look at your Bible, there's a superscript entitled the Psalm and it will say "A Psalm that David wrote when Nathan came to him to confront after he went to went into Bathsheba and uh, adultery. Um, The context is obviously the stories of David's heinous sins. Adultery with Bathsheba and cover up with lies. And then when that didn't work, murder of the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, that he's He's actually one of the closest and fiercest warrior, Uriah, the Hittite. And then the Bible doesn't mention clearly, but the Bible scholars and commentators typically will all agree on ending of chapter 11. That everything seemed to be back to normal now that David had um, this pretension to save the poor widow uh, whose, whose, whose husband is killed at war and then there's a glorious military funeral and as if he had a mercy on the, on the wife, he took Bathsheba as his wife. And because of king's authority, no one would dare to stand up and say anything against it. How many weeks, months passed away? I don't know. But I do know that everything seemed to be back to normal on the surface level, and that's when God sent <coughs> Nathan the prophet to confront David with the story, with the tactfulness. And then, when David got so angry, and this man deserved that, deserved to die, and then he should pay back four times for the ewe lamb that he stole. And then he boldly said, "You are the man." Chapter twelve concludes with God's forgiveness and well, David's admission of the sin, and God's forgiveness and the consequences that brings as God's heavy hand of discipline on him, that we will study more about. But did you know there is only one sentence in all entire story, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against God, against the Lord. So if, you don't, if we didn't have Psalms like this, there's a few other Psalms, Penitent Psalms, and then Psalm 32 seems to be in line with this season also too. But Psalm 51 is so clear what went on his heart. And thoroughly explains David's condition of his heart and how he repented. And this is incredible example for us. Because who would say among us, um, I don't think God could forgive me. But if you compare your sin even with David, Most of us will say, oh, I haven't done all of that. Half of Ten Commandments were broken by David through this. But when David was confronted by God through Nathan, God didn't mention any wrongdoings interpersonally first. Nathan confronts him as a you have despised the word of the Lord, which means that the other half of the Ten Commandments wasn't really saved. David was a miserably broken man here. But and yet, how he repents and how he's restored points us to look at that's what men, God's own heart. After God's own heart looks like it is an incredible example. I'm going ahead a little bit. So content shows David's repentant heart, as I mentioned, and then thirdly, its intensity of David's repentance, as thorough as his heinous sins, which provides a just. Really good example for us to follow in our own repentance. What it means to go through repentance with a sincere heart. True repentance. Because there are so many false repentance as well. We'll find out a little more in a few minutes. And lastly, what's most important is the key lesson from this psalm teaches us how we too can experience God's forgiveness and restoration as Christ's followers. I don't know how else I could uh, stress this point so Allow me to repeat and be redundant a little bit. As believers, unless we experience God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's restoration in our lives, you live a miserable Christian life. And the fact that we don't even know at times that we are living a miserable Christian life is a symptom of a slavery of sin, that as if this is a normal way of living Christian life. But through this psalm, we too can learn a way of life that we, day in in and day out, experience God's forgiveness and God's restoration, renewal regularly. Before we get into the text itself, uh, one of the commentators is obviously Charles Hedon Spurgeon, who's known as a prince of preachers. even a hundred years ago, he has written so many so many sermons um, and his insight in those Writings, which is all available free online now. Incredible. All the preachers and pastors who look at him as a so un, uh, unrealized example of our day. There is no equivalent of as Charles Spurgeon. And one of his passion, although he has written commentaries and sermons and so many books of the Bible, his heart was for Psalms. And he entitled The Treasury of David, which is also available online. And I was looking through Treasury of David and then the second book section that he is writing. And he writes this about this psalm oh he couldn't write it this psalm every time when he sat down he just couldn't write anything sermon wise or commentary wise and he would come back and back and then finally he wrote this it is a bush burning with fire yet not consumed and out of it a voice seemed to cry to me, Draw not near hither. Put off thy shoes from, from off thy feet. The psalm is very human. Its cries and sobs are of one born of woman. But it is freighted with an inspiration all divine as if the great father were praying words into his child's mouth. Such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and excelled again in devotion, but commented on, ah, where is he who, having attempted it, can do other than blush at his defeat. After reading that, I, I didn't feel like preaching on this anymore. Because it reveals my inadequacies and unpreparedness to deal with this weightiness of sin and true repentance. But with God's, God's mercy, I came full turn. And I have some few things to share. And the key focus that we will have looking at this psalm is what does true repentance require? And if we do have a true repentance What is the result of true repentance? Those are two questions that we have, a folded one. And here's the first one. True repentance requires a sincere confession of our own sin. True repentance requires a sincere confession of our own sin. Verse 1-4 through Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, in your words and blameness in your judgment. The first two verses, as he's admitting and confessing, the sincerity comes out this way. He's covering every corner. He uses three different words. Well, if we count what is evil against you in your side is four. But it's three different Hebrew words to to come to his sin in a different angle. The first word is transgression. Transgress means that you're crossing the line. God's authority, God's rule, God's law. Do not do this. And then you cross the line. You have transgressed. And he confesses that way. The second word, sorry about that, Iniquity is more inner condition as opposed to outer wrongdoing of transgression. When he says, my iniquity is, my heart is wicked. There is an inner corruption that is being confessed. And then number three, the most common word in Hebrew Bible and the New Testament picks it up by Paul in Romans 3.23 hamartia. This is the most common word. Sin is coming short. Falling short of glory of God. It is violence against God's character. That's what he's saying. Coming short of what God's glorious standard would be. Light Cannot coexist with darkness. And darkness comes in, light goes out, light comes in, darkness goes out. That's God's glorious holiness. And He confesses on, on those uh, three angles. But if you look at the other side, in in verse 4. God is described with these two main words. One word is, the first word is a justified, so that you may be justified in your words. And the second one is blameless. Blameless in your judgment. You know what he's saying? I have no excuse, no rationalize whatsoever. You are right in your ways and your rules. I agree. I say the same thing, Lord. And then you are blameless for judging me, for condemning me, for possibility of if you cut me off eternally that you are blameless. Number one thing that we need to realize here sincere confession Looks like this. Our innate desire, default mode of rationalizing, or half hearted admission. Yes, uh, I have committed adultery, but you know, Bathsheba could have done better. Don't you think she's responsible too? Don't you think I'm some way victimized? Oh, Uriah, why didn't he just go to sleep with his wife? Then everything would be okay. Why did, does he push me to kill him? Oh, he's, It's ridiculous in our ears, but, but when we are actually going through our own sin, that's what we sound like. To other people. Any and marital conflict is, is that just we are extremely self centered, that we are clueless about how others really feel about it. Attrition is important, but what we feel here is contrition. Do you know what I mean? When people say, okay, I'm sorry. I really mean it. I'm sorry. Let's move on. There is no sign of contrition. Contrition is, I feel remorse because of I see your pain. I empathize what you have gone through. I caused that pain. In Psalm 32, he cried over his sin, wept over his sin so much that his bed became like a river. Do I need to show and exaggerate my emotion? Do I have to cry? I'm not an emotional person. No. I think from person to person that there might be differences. But that same inner core of remorse. And what does God feel toward the sins? Hatred. Divine hatred. But we feel good about it? I, I don't understand why you feel so upset. You, you're too uptight, God. That's our attitude. So, brothers and sisters, this is a full cycle of paradox. When you are really truly repenting, you already have god's grace because you cannot come up with that kind of contrition oh don't take me wrong god doesn't give us that mercy and grace unless our will is bent toward to his will so in other words sovereignty of god and responsibility of human is all in paradoxically in, entangled together. Do not try to become like God. I mean, play God. Uh, you know, unless God, uh, the way I look at it, I'm impossible, I'm unable, unable to repent, so I'm going to wait. That will be negating our responsibility. But to think that I am going to be responsible, so. I don't I don't want to go apologize and ask for forgiveness. I'll pay whatever is lost there. I'll go to jail if it's necessary. I'll take responsibility. That's also not a true repentance at all. I might as well mention this. Do you remember the time when you first realized amazing grace of God? Especially when you were becoming a Christian. When there was a a special event in your life, you felt so rock bottom and God showed mercy. Do you remember that utter humility that you did not muster but you had before God? That you didn't have a problem of Throwing away your pride and mentally, spiritually, even physically, kneeling down before God in contrition. God have mercy on me. That's God's grace. Oh, I need this. Oh, and you need it. The churches in America need it. We become haughty in our own eyes and prideful and self. Reliant and self sufficient in so many ways. We disregard the inner, small, still voice of groaning voice of the Holy Spirit, being saddened by our attitude, our sins. Number two requirement of true repentance is a deep realization. Of our need for a cleansed heart. Verses 5 through 9. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the innermost, inner, inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Look at the first part of that. When he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. What deep realization is this? I'm a pretty nice guy, God, but I slipped. I made a mess, I agree. That was bad. But I'm a generally good guy, am I not? That was not David's attitude. David is saying I have sinned because I'm sinner from the bottom of my heart. We talked about original sin. Original sin is not Adam's sin. The consequence of Adam's sin that came into tainted our human heart. Our fallen heart is naturally sinful, which means that our self-centeredness, by default mode, our self-focus and self-obsession is that what fallen heart, original sin looks like, that he saw the inward sin that he bore. When he said, in sin did my mother conceive me, he's not talking about his mother's sin or that he somehow was an illegitimate child. But he's pointing to his nature of sin that he actually was born. With that sin. And now he sees his inner depravity. The true repentance is, is that not cleaning up on the outside. Okay, I won't do it anymore. And many of us maybe maintain that kind of Christian life too. I haven't, I haven't done anything illegal I haven't slept with another woman or man. And I haven't actually killed anyone, harmed anyone. I haven't even physically punched anyone. And God is interested in our true repentances. How is your heart? And this is the groaning of David's heart. His true desire to have cleansed the heart. Not a covered heart. Not a somehow uh, improved heart. Cleansed. He's continually mentioning the words like Purge me. Wash me. Let me hear your joy and hide your face from my sins. Blood out. This is an inside-out transformation. This is an inside-out restoration. Purge me with hyssop. What's a hyssop? It's a plant and with a lot of branches in Old Testament used for ceremonial cleaning. Uh, Deep into the blood, anything has to be sanctified. Priest will sprinkle. And if you've seen Roman Catholics have the water sprinkled like this everywhere, right? The similar concept. But what does that really do? God, I know the symbolic meaning of it, but if you do it inside out, I shall be clean. If you wash me, I mean, this is a thorough washing that I will be whiter than snow. And then his desire is more than just a forgiveness of wrongdoing. I need you to restore, renew my heart in a way that I feel the joy and gladness. God didn't break any bones, physical bones, but his inner turmoil felt like broken bone last week i if you were here i mentioned just briefly it was one of the worst weeks most difficult weeks without revealing too much i'm going to say this i was dealing with difficult conflict resolution issues and I was just fighting with my pride. I lost the appetite. Yes, I obeyed on the outside, but internally, I was throwing spiritual tantrum, feeling so sad and so sorry for myself, until God gently his heavy hand hurts but gently come close and i was able to see god's mercy for me and this week i'm doing much better but a child my childhood friend died all of a sudden from massive heart attack so I'm sad, in a way, still. But the important thing is that I think we need to see the David's heart in all this about desire for cleansing. If we have been regenerated, and if you had a born-again experience, you know what it feels like. Do you remember the time that you felt so cleansed all the sins, you you have not confessed every sin, but you have confessed the sins that God Holy Spirit brought to you. And as you confessed them, admitted your guilt before them, before God, you felt the lifting of the weight. You felt so cleansed The people with guilt it become psychological even psychiatric problems. And the obsessive, compulsive personality is dealing with God's mercy, golden God's headset. They'll try to take a shower several times a day. Does it cleanse anyone? The good news of Christ is this. In David's life In the middle of Old Testament, here is the gospel. The blood was shed by Jesus Christ once for all. All the symbolic meaning of animal sacrifice is useless unless Christ shed his precious blood for us. Without shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. Scripture says, Lest you think once again with some type of self-effort and reliance mode I have bad news and good news you will fail miserably even if you try. That you will find more and more that you are impossible to keep God's law inside out. The good news is that by grace, undeserved favor of God, gift of God, God's headset is available even this morning. Number three, True repentance leads us to forgiveness and restoration by by God's grace and mercy. Oh, this is an encouraging part. Verse 10, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Could you first notice that David says created in me, not improve me. Create, Yes, it's, it's just literally God creating from nothing and giving him a new heart, giving him a cleansed heart. What do you think David realized? What do you think we should realize? God, my self-effort and self-righteousness is like a dirty rag to you. But if you cleanse me, oh God, my heart will be renewed. My heart, you will give me, create a new heart in me and renew a renewal right spirit. So, uh, David's desire and hope is God's restoration, not just the forgiveness of his spirit, of his heart by grace and grace alone. So here's the essence of what the fruit of this uh, repentance, true repentance looks like. We tend to think in our pragmatic world, I failed, I made a mistake, I have a forgiveness card and now I get to try again. The biblical principle of repentance is my source, the only source of goodness is from God. Power and strength is from God to win over my sin, to live righteously. But because of sin, my fellowship with my heavenly father has been broken So I need forgiveness, yes. But I need to restore the relationship with the Father in such a way that I feel intimate with God again. We all felt that, right? When you're growing up, when you did something wrong and became very rebellious, your dad or your mom is sitting in the living room And there's a favorite TV show you would love to watch. I'm just assuming back in the days, we're old enough, right? There's usually one TV, not TV everywhere and screen. And and no one gathers around TV anymore. But for the sake of illustration, think about your childhood. That you would not enjoy sitting in the living room with your dad, with your mom. That used to be one of the joys that you have. What do you have to do? You swallow your pride. Dad, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I rebelled against you. Please forgive me. Of course, Dad forgives you. Mom forgives you. And then all of a sudden, your appetite comes back and you're sitting with your dad enjoying whatever the show that you're enjoying. So this is what I mean by if you are accustomed to sin and not cleansed as ongoing way of life, the spiritual sickness comes in and not only individually, but church-wise, the mediocre Christian life is all. The deadness of soul, there's no sign of symptom of true joy. When David said, "Cast me not away, and take not your Holy Spirit from me," do you think he's afraid of salvation? Now we'll find out more. More, uh, truer sentences are coming up coming up soon too. But what is what he's getting at is. Without you, Lord, without your presence, and without your Holy Spirit drawing near to me, my life is nothing. I'm miserable. I need, to re- I need you to restore. And then he writes, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with, your, with a willing spirit then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And notice this time that he didn't say, restore to me your salvation. Salvation is not his, quest, his, his concern. He was sure of his salvation. He belongs to God. But he writes, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And the Spirit willing, let me gently ask you, do you know your the joy of your salvation, God's salvation for you? Do you have the joy and experience that daily of your salvation in God, in Christ? If you have any kind of hesitancy, I invite you to grab David's broken, contrite heart. You bring nothing. You earn nothing. Empty hand with humble, contrite heart. Kneel at the cross and ask for restoration as well as forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, it's not far. And it's not for special people. Your pastor just went through that. I'm, I'm hoping that God will continually humble me to, to maintain that broken, tried heart. Yeah, some, At times, a spiritual battle is that our pride lifts up its, its head. And that stiff neck the Bible talks about is do not want to bend. And I'm one of those guys, stubborn person when it comes to my own pride. But you know the humiliation I dread because think I think that a pride is all I got. Is worse off than if I say yes, Lord, and die to myself and surrender. Actually, there is at the end of the eternal, the restoration and joy. Physical health—you could sleep better, you could taste things better. You get appetite. Your wife looks prettier. Your husband looks more handsomer. I kid you not. Because last week, I couldn't even touch my, my wife. It was not my the conflict with my wife, but she didn't support me in, in such a way that she didn't pity me, you know, participating. and can not kind of be on my side and pity me. No, she didn't have any energy for that. And the restoration teaches us God's righteous way is the happiest way. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Fourth and last thing. True repentance also leads us to heartfelt praise and intercession. This is not an effort, it's an outflow. uh, Verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing out loud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Before we go into the next section, let me just mention about blood guiltness. That he is aware of his sin as a tainted by Uriah's blood, guilt. That was tainted in him and deeply in that. And he's asking for deliverance. And then as he feels God's chesed, kindness and love and mercy, the praise burst out from his mouth. That's a sign of true Repentance. And if you're continually concerned about how good you are and how you are trying to maintain that uh, mode, then it is not true. Repentance. True repentance lifts the attention from you to God. And then secondly, there is a horizontal level. Verse 18, too good to Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem the city of God, in your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem, then will you delight in right sacrifices. In burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. The first one was about our relationship with God. Because a praise bursts out to God. Attention lifts to God. Second one is our relationship with others. We begin to pray for others, concern for others. Rather than become much, much more judgmental toward them. Which it could be easy if we become silent, self-righteous. In light of what went on with the national tragedy, the massacre in Las Vegas, I think our, our hearts are lifted toward God if we go into the truth, repentance. We could still praise in the midst of sorrow, but in that we will pray for healing of the land. Do good to Zion. Restore that, Lord. Build up the walls that strengthen security, not physically so much, but in a way that it's a spiritual condition of our people. If I'm the king, if I'm the leader, if I'm this way. In the same way, would you? Come to Sunday Worship. Worship leaders have been talking about this several weeks. As we are going through the worship series in home group study Worship leaders and elders and I decide to take a different route of changing or correcting our worship. Instead of being legalist don't do this and don't do that. Although I'm gonna put, we're gonna put up a sign over there in uh, in few weeks, except that one. Um, what if we begin to change that attitude toward God, that we come with a praise as a restoration time, an outflow of our, the more we praise and our attention is on God, the more we will experience God's strength, God's renewal. And then, instead of being critical with with others and with other home groups, or women's group, and men's group, and even church leaders, including me, would you pray with much mercy? Pray for them. My time's almost up. Actually, I'm up. Let me give you uh, just a quick recap and application and we will conclude. True repentance requires a sincere confession of our own sin. True repentance requires also a deep realization of our own need for a cleansed heart. True repentance leads us to forgiveness and restoration by God's grace and mercy. And fourthly, True repentance leads us to heartfelt praise and intercession. Which means, these are some of the things that naturally come, come up in an application. The pointers. Therefore, let's live a life of confession. A true repentance. Number one, confess all your known sins to God. Do not carry them any longer. It is by grace, which means you don't earn up to that merit to be forgiven. Take off your burdens of guilt this morning. What does it mean to confess. Remember that I said uh, last week three things that in, in Greek it means to say the same thing or to agree. To say the same thing that God is saying about this sin. Number one, say the same thing that you have committed. This is sin. Lord, this is sin. Admission. No buts and ifs. No victimization, rationalization, excuse. This is a sin that I sinned against you. By the way, the reason why David is mentioning you only, against you only have I sinned he's not not saying that I haven't sinned against anyone. He's saying beyond the horizontal level, ultimately I realize my sin is against you, your character. This is an insult to your character that he's emphasizing that. So number one, I have sinned. I rebelled against you. Number two, That the blood of Jesus already has been shed on this particular sin. Thank you for preceding forgiveness before you even confess. Because in Jesus Christ, no condemnation for any believers. And number three, that God, you have provided way and power. For me to turn away from this sin. Uh, Rather than saying, I I can't help it, Lord. I'm the the way that it is. I'm going to do that again. No matter how many times you fall. And commit same sin. That we confess the same thing. Three things. And then commit to God the truth in our innermost being to be cleansed from inside out. Some of some of us who are walking in a very darkness for a long time, uh, disconnected from the fellowship of God, this is my own confession, you don't even know which one is really truth in the innermost being. Because you are so many. It was sincere in some sense that you really want to live for God and you want to forgive others, you want to love those people who are not lovable and then all of a sudden you hit the rock bottom, you hate everybody and you behave like rebellious child of God. Which one is true? The truth in the innermost being you, for me is this. When I fail, when I'm miserable, when I'm confused in my journal I write down while I'm clear, I'm confessing. This is what I really, the truth in the innermost being is. In spite of my behaviors, Lord, what I really want is to do your will. I want to be humble. That's a truth in the innermost being. I want to be gentle toward others. I want to forgive that person. Would you do that, even this morning? And in light with number three, desire and know that you too can experience God's forgiveness and restoration by grace today through faith. And finally, let's praise God and pray for others because of God's forgiveness and restoration. People of God, the joy of Christian life is experiencing God's forgiveness and restoration today and every day. I go back to Charles Spurgeon, and I will end with this quote. Uh, By the way, this is the verse that we ought to remember, and even if you did not write anything, at least remember this promise of 1 John 1, verse 9. And then when you go back in your own room, remember that verse as you confess, as trustworthy promise of God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and restoration. Now, Spurgeon's words. He writes, Behold, here is a great matter for consideration. God desires not merely outward virtue, but inward purity. And the penitent sense of sin is greatly deepened as with astonishment he discovers the truth and how far he is from satisfying the divine demand. The second, behold, is fitly set over against the first. How great the gulf which yawns between them. Thou desirest truth in the you know, inward parts. Reality, sincerity, true holiness, heart fidelity. These are the demands of God. He cares not. For the pretense of purity, he looks to the mind, heart, and soul. Always has the holy one of Israel estimated men by their inner nature, and not by their outward professions. To him, the inward is as visible as the outward, and he rightly judges that essential character of an action lies in the motive of him who works it. Remember the good news, people of God. His grace and mercy is available this morning. Be restored to not carry the burden of guilt Haziness of your spiritual deadness. No longer. Any longer. I invite you to come to the grace that is richly, limitlessly available at the foot of Jesus and confess your sins. Father, thank you so much for this psalm. And thank you for David's example of true repentance. And thank you above all that your mercy and grace never ends. With open arms that you wait for us until we turn and obey with contrite and broken heart. And I pray for each one of us that you will restore the joy of salvation in our lives. And I pray for our church, the joy of Christ will overwhelm us to praise and to intercession. And teach us to live like a joyful Christian that we ought to be because of the burdens of sin is no longer on our back and our, our enemy, the evil one, cannot accuse our hearts anymore. Help us to live a life of confession daily no matter how many confessions that we might have to make to you because your mercy is endless and livingless. Thank you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Today, this morning,